You're listening to Blue Notes Further Reading, where we go behind the scenes to explain emerging themes and technologies in the financial services industry. I think what confuses people, and one of the reasons why it in some ways appears to be complex, is the myriad different systems and protocols that are used depending on do you want to send the money in real time, do you want to send the money cross-border, are you still using something like a cheque, are you using your tap-and-go card. There are many different ways to move money and it's not always just from one bank account to another. Today we chat to ANZ's Nigel Adams about payments, currency and the future of commerce. All right, Nigel, thanks for joining us on Blue Notes for further reading. Today we're going to talk a bit about payments. It's a very complicated space. There's a lot going on, um, but I'm hoping you can uh, make it a bit simpler for us. Is it true that banks only do three things, taking deposits, making loans and transferring money from one account to another? And uh, talk us through what the bank actually does. So at their heart, sort of banks were all about reallocating capital from those who have it to those who don't. And that's where this, this idea of we lend money, we take money on deposit and we move money around. Obviously, as banks have evolved over the last sort of four or five hundred years, we do lots of other things as well, including some of the wealth management sort of businesses that have sort of been established, the markets type practices, very sophisticated type lending instruments and uh, risk taking instruments. So they have moved on, but at the core, they still do those, those three things. And so when it comes to what the bank does and the risks involved. What, what's sort of the most complicated part of payments? Is it taking the deposits? Is it making the loans? Is it transferring the money? What, what to, to you is the hardest part? Um, I think it, it's a difficult question to answer because I don't think there's a, there is a particular hard part. I think what confuses people and one of the reasons why it in some ways appears to be complex is the myriad different systems and protocols that are used depending on do you want to send the money in real time do you want to send the money cross-border are you still using something like a check are you using your tap and go card there are many different ways to move money and it's not always just from one bank account to another people sort of you can top up your Mikey account you can top up your swatch watch account People still, still sometimes do barter. So there's many different ways of moving um, value around. Um, and it's really about specifically what you're trying to do, the goals you have in mind, the needs as a customer of how you can do that most effectively and most efficiently. And so I guess for most consumers, we know about cards, we know about cash, we know about checks. But what, what is it that's happening in the background that's running everything and, and making it all work? basically a huge amount of technology even with sort of uh, physical uh, payment instruments like cash and like card uh, sort of like checks there's still a lots of technology when those checks get handed over the counter we still need to scan them image them proof them and when those sort of transactions are swiped at an fpos terminal or someone sort of uploads a salary file in, on internet banking or um, wants to send money overseas, there is a huge amount of technology that sits behind that. And that's not just our technology. We need to exchange those, that value and we need to exchange those transaction details with the other banks. Mm. And that requires lots of cooperation between the banks and how these systems can talk to each other. And so does each sort of type of payment sit separately in its own siloed technology or are they all in- interconnect and fit all together like a puzzle? More and more, and that's very much at the heart of what we're trying to do in the bank, is to have a much more comprehensive view and a customer-facing view of how payments works together. Traditionally, the industry is organised along clearing streams. 
and these are associated with the different instruments. There's a check clearing stream, there's a card clearing stream, there's one called direct entry, one called RTGS, there's one for international transaction that goes through um, a thing called the CLS bank, or the Continuous Link Settlement Bank. So they have been operated in silos, they do have their different protocols, um, they do have very sort of specific needs and requirements about how that value is transacted. But what we're trying to do is to make a payments utility within the bank so that it doesn't matter where the transaction originates from. We have one system that really can interpret that and then allocate it and assign it and route it in the most appropriate way for that particular customer's needs. It's really interesting. And I think I've, I've heard in the past about the sort of the cost of cash and, uh, you know, the cost of cash versus the cost of, you know, a tap and go payment. Is that something that uh, is sort of involved in that? You know, is that one of those things you look at when we talk about, you know, cash is starting to become less important to people? Um, is that something that you have to take into account in the payment sy- sort of system as well? Very much so. Probably more the product partners than, uh, than myself in an operational sense. But yes, moving physical cash, moving physical paper is expensive. Um, the systems that we use to do direct entry transactions have been around quite a long time. So it's very, very low cost. Um, as you'll be aware, all the banks have sort of invested heavily um, with the RBA's support. And so with the NPP, is that something that's going to radically transform uh, the operations side of payments as well as the consumer side of payments? To an extent, most most of the NPP transactions, or nearly all of the NPP transactions, are what's called straight through process. So no one really touches them. They get sort of um, sort of settled within 15 seconds. So if you haven't tried it yet, I'd encourage you to give it a go. Move some money around and move it from one account to another account. And you can see within 15 seconds, even if it's between institutions, the money is there. Now, clearly, that doesn't allow a time for someone in an operations team to start to um, interact with that transaction. But occasionally, things will go wrong, as they do with, with all payment systems. And we will have people in our operational teams that will manage those exceptions. But they are exceptions. And I think that's one of the big differences that's happening now. More and more of our payments are fully automated and customers expect things to be almost real time or near real time. So it will have a change. And have you seen a change over time? Have you noticed that the the volume has increased in transactions, but the actual amount that is being transacted is is changing as well? Is that... Yes, yeah, so it's interesting because whilst we have these sort of these different clearing streams and they've got their own schemes and their own rules that sort of define how they're used, how customers use them is changing sort of quite dramatically. Um, not too many people write checks these days. We still get property settlements sort of done in check or a large po- a partial portion of them. We still get um, sort of some dividend payments done in checks. Some people still prefer to use check because it gives them, they can hold the cash for just a little bit longer. Um, but the volume of checks is declining. However, the value is going up because people aren't using checks for everyday things. Similarly, the card usage is increasing dramatically, but it's predominantly debit cards where the actual the, the value of the transaction is pulling the overall average transaction value for a card down because people are sort of buying a cup of coffee with it now, which they wouldn't have done 15, 20 years ago. Um, so you do see this interplay and how customers are changing their behavior, moving more towards debit card, moving more towards electronic transactions and less sort of paper instruments. Do you think that eventually cash and checks will disappear and we will move to a totally online or um, you know, tap and go style payment system? Almost certainly, but it's a question of how long. There are a couple of countries that are some of the Scandinavian countries uh, are sort of pretty progressed down that path. It's quite tricky because there are certain sort of customer sets who 
don't have access to smartphones. They do just still sort of rely on sort of, you know, the, the physical sort of cash or the physical sort of paper to write a check. Um, but progressively, it will just become so um, uneconomic to actually transacting in particularly in check that I think that there will be a time that they will d disappear. Um, cash is an interesting one. There are many reasons why um, people might want to take cash out of the economy in terms of reducing the impact of financial crime or the th threat of financial crime. Um, but it's still sort of quite a popular sort of uh, way to sort of pay small amounts. Um, and it's only I think the it's unusual how sort of people use large cash transactions. Checks, I think 10 years. With between five to ten years, I think it will go. I mean, it's it's dropping. It's like twenty percent last year. It dropped down. And do you notice that um, the, the the checks, you know, are higher in certain times of the year or certain uh, times of the week? Even I'm I'm thinking, as you said, about the property settlements and deposits, that sort of thing. You know, in spring, uh, and I know we all know that real estate booms in spring. So, do you notice that there are higher transaction volumes from checks in those times or days of the week? Those sorts of things. Yeah, all, all payment instruments. They all have their own sort of peaks and troughs depending mm. on sort of the, the nature of it. Obviously, we know with something like cards, Christmas Eve's a big yes. day. We really, really want our sort of credit card and our Day debit card to work. Day before Good Friday, I've heard as Day well. Day before Good Friday, we sort of need those uh, systems absolutely to be to be working. Um, 30th of June has always traditionally been a very big day um, with sort of a lot of value transacted on that day, given it's the end of the financial year. And then you get sort of particular drivers around when dividend dates are or when... Um, you get things like sort of every second Wednesday when payroll dates come out through direct entry. So each particular instrument has got its peaks and troughs and you get to know them. And what's tricky is when there are um, certain transactions that just appear out of nowhere but have a large sort of spike. And I guess most of us obviously use the consumer side of payments, but from a institu more institutional side of things, there'd be quite large sums of money moving around between the banks, between countries, that sort of thing. Um, what are the main risks involved in, say, working with overseas banks? Are there, are there risks involved in, obviously, holding money overseas, those sorts of things? Most of the uh, the banking we do is with counterparties that we obviously know well, their credit assessed well, and that we do transact sort of very, very large values. Uh, for the main currencies that we trans transact in, we obviously hold an account with those banks in their country. And when our customers need to either pay money in that country, so if someone wants to send US dollars to a, a beneficiary in the States, then we use JP Morgan. Then we have to make sure that our account with JP Morgan has always got enough money in it to pay for all those um, payments that are coming due from our customers wanting to send money over there. And likewise, when uh, people want to send money into Australia. So when we're working with the large banks, say like JP Morgan, you mentioned, um, obviously we're working with Aussie dollars, with US dollars. Does that work the way we think it does? In tr Does the money change currency or is it all sort of stay the same? Um, what's, what's really interesting about sort of the, uh, the all the cross-border transfers is Actually, even though we're an Australian and New Zealand bank, the highest value of transactions is in US dollars. So most of that is driven by uh, trade and capital flows. Um, an interesting sort of, I guess, a, f a fun fact about that, people think about when you move money, when you sort of send money overseas, you're taking it from Australia and you're actually sort of, you know, putting it in a little suitcase and yeah. carrying it to <laughs> the, the States. That's not how it works. 
the US dollar, the, the electronic US dollars, never actually leaves the US. The Aussie dollar never leaves Australia. It's all money that's held within the country. Obviously, if you've sort of got, you know, gone down to um, the, the branch and sort of taken out a couple of hundred US dollars to go on your holidays, that's physical cash is sitting here. But the, the large value of the electronic transactions, no, the, the, the currency never leaves the country. One of, the, one of the interesting things about payments is how we both uh, cooperate and compete with our counterparties. So, for example, the new payments platform, um, it was very much something that the RBA was driving. But because we need, to, we need to make sure that the mechanics work, there's a huge amount of cooperation between the various banks so that all the protocols, all the files can get transferred in the, uh, the time allocated and that we minimize the amount of reconciliations that need to be done, that customers get their money on time. That requires a lot of com um, cooperation. However, we are competing with these other banks. So the products we create, the overlay services we create, how we communicate the value to the customers, how we price, that's absolutely proprietary to us. And so if you think about payments as in two parts, there is the the underlying platform, the, the guide rails, which um, helps us to make sure that the money can move from one institution to the next, irrespective of how we choose to send it. There's a lot of cooperation there. And when that goes wrong, the banks will work with each other because we all know we're all subject to these payment outages. When you get these huge payment outages, Everybody's working together because the role of the banks is actually to keep the economy going as well. We play two roles. Yes, we are a um, company that is trying to generate profits for our shareholders, etc. But we have a role in society which plays very nicely into our overall purpose um, that is there to keep the Australian, the New Zealand and the other economies in which we transact moving. And we've got to move that money around. So that's when we work together well. But we also have a responsibility to our own customers to create the most value for them. And that's where clearly that's that's proprietary knowledge. That's where the sort of the, the product teams work very closely to understand our customer needs and try to come up with packaging those services in such a way that we can create value over and above that which our competitors are doing. I know you've told um, us a good anecdote in the past about your Lehman Brothers bears that I can see we're sitting in your office here. I can see uh, sitting behind you up on the desk. Maybe talk us through a bit about uh, what that bear means. Um, what you're referring to is um, it's a teddy bear that sits on my the shelf of my office, and I got this teddy bear at a Cybos conference, which is the, the I guess the, the payments and transaction banking conference that's run internationally by the uh, the, the Swift organization in Vienna in 2008. And it was the weekend that um, Lehman Brothers sort of collapsed. And we had lots of um, people flying in from all over the world to attend the conference. And then they arrived on the Sunday. And basically on the Monday, they were flying back to their respective home countries because of the ensuing financial disaster. It just so happened that at that particular conference, I was given a layman's teddy bear. <laughs> and um, it sits on my desk just to remind me of that everything we do involves risk and specifically moving money around the world and from account to account always involves risk. Well Nigel it's been a fascinating chat and I know I've definitely learned something as a sort of a small fish in a very big pond it seems um, but thanks for joining us on Blue Notes. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you for listening to Further Reading. Further Reading is a product of the Blue Notes editorial team with music by freestockmusic.com. <laughs>